know it, then you're surely showing if you're happy and you know it. All right, praise God. I was a children's pastor for eight years, so that's where I groomed getting ready for you all. Anyway, so good to see you guys. Listen, ladies. What's that little boy that goes, Linda, Linda, Linda? Ladies, 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 listen, listen. We have our conference Friday night. We are going to have so much fun. You see the big letters out there, bold. So we want you to get out there today, register your children if you need childcare. But also, ladies, please buy your T-shirts today. Don't contact me tomorrow morning and say, PB, can I please get it? I'm going to say no. I'll probably say yes, but I want to say no. Y'all wait to the last minute to get stuff, so don't wait, okay? Get out there, buy your t-shirts. They'll be here at the church on Wednesday. If you come Wednesday night, you can pick it up or swing by the church and pick up your t-shirt if you want to wear them Friday night, okay? Everybody say, what a deal. Okay, listen, we are going on with our uh, series that I started last week on I Quit, and if you weren't here last Sunday, we started it, and you can jump online, of course, listen to all our teachings for free, and uh, last week we talked about I Quit, anybody remember? What? Gold star for you. You all were searching the internet, I think, but she knew. No, making excuses, see, I quit making excuses. No, everybody's supposed to say that. Oh my gosh, you guys. All right, so today we're going to continue on, and I'm really excited about the next few weeks that we're going to be together before the new year, because I believe God's going to do something really special in 2020, amen? I believe God is setting his kingdom up, his church, but also Faith Builders Church right here in North Phoenix. I believe there's a special visitation of God, amen, and something very awesome is coming, and so as your pastor, I want to prepare you to get ready to expect God to do amazing things. And you know, sometimes in order for God to pour in, he has to dig out, doesn't he? He has to dig out some junk. He has to get rid of some of our belief systems. He's got to change some things so that he can put the new things on the inside of us. And so that's why I'm doing this series on I Quit. Obviously, we're talking about four things that we need to quit doing. The first one is I quit making excuses. The second one that we're going to talk about today is called I Quit Complaining. I know none of you complain in this room, so take really good notes and tell them to your family members and those people that have the problems, right? But we're talking about I quit complaining, and this is such a big thing because complaining becomes a habit in our life. We may not realize that we're waking up every day and murmuring or talking about the things that we don't like, talking about the things that we're not happy. And I want to share with you this morning the dangers of self-destruction to yourself, your family, and the will of God when you are caught complaining about your life. And you may be here this morning and have a lot to complain about, and it's probably justifiable. But we're going to have to learn as believers in Jesus to put God right back in the center of our situation. And let him be the focus of our story, amen, and not us the focus of the story. So we're going to talk about this today, but I don't know how many of you have any complainers in your life, people who like to complain about everything, you know, maybe dumb things, maybe um, justifiable things. But I went ahead and Googled on the internet about some things that people complain about. The number one thing, which I don't know, maybe this should be updated, but it's uh, talking about slow but free Wi-Fi. Has anybody ever complained about that? It's slow, but it's free. You didn't have to pay for it. Don't blame McDonald's or Starbucks if it's too slow. You got it for free, right? Uh, number six was uh, the toilet seat being left up. I don't know. 
I live alone now. I've always lived with females, so didn't have that problem, but I think I did fall in one one time, though, when I was little. That was strange. <laughs> Don't know why I just told you, but I did. <laughs> Fell straight in. When the seat's gone, you fall straight in. There's, like, nothing to stop you. Has anybody else done that? Oh, thank you. And it shocks you, doesn't it? Thank you. It's cold and it's shocking. <laughs> and it's gross. <laughs> All right, the last thing on the list, I just kind of picked out a few. I don't, many of you are probably this way, but you ever been on social media? Maybe you watch like a Netflix series or a competition online and somebody posts the end results and it's a spoiler. I hate that so much. So complain about that. But <laughs> some people have made complaining so good, it's become their ministry gift of life, you know? Instead of the five-fold ministry, it's the six-fold ministry. They've been really good and gifted at complaining about everything. I found this quote online, uh, not necessarily true, but I thought it was cute. It says, never tell your problems to anyone. 20% don't care, and the other 80% are glad you have them. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? But as, as Jesus people, we care about what you go through. But we find out in the Word of God, there's so many examples that we find in Scripture where people complain. If you go all the way back in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, what happened? Eve caused Adam to sin, right? And Adam knew the rule. He was actually given the rule of what not to do, and he sinned anyway. And what was the first thing he said? He complained about Eve. Well, God, you gave me her. You told me to stick with her. But if you really look at the story, I don't think he was really blaming Eve. I think he was kind of pointing the finger at God. And I think when we find ourselves in complaining situations, it's easy to complain about the person next to me, the child that you're losing your mind over, whatever it is. But really, we have to go to what's going on in the heart that you're really complaining about. And you can come to a place in your heart that maybe we found a place we're not trusting God. Maybe we're really not leaning on God, or we felt maybe God has abandoned us, or you've been believing God for so long, and the situation hasn't changed. So I'm asking us to look internal today. What are some things that God needs to get back into the seat of our affections, amen? God needs to be back in control. And if you look at the story of Job, and many of you here may know that story, but Job lost everything, didn't he? But if you read in Job 1.1, the first chapter of the first book, it says this, Job was blameless and upright. Everything about Joel, Job was good. He loved God. He trusted his God, the Lord. He, he raised his children in the way of the Lord. He did everything good and right in his life. And guess what? He began to lose it all. Everything began to unravel in his life. And the scripture in Job 10.1, I picked it out because I believe every one of us can relate to where Job was. And it says this in that scripture, I loathe my very life. Has anybody ever been there? I hate my life. I hate what I'm going through. I hate this, my children or this relationship that's in. I hate my job. And we find ourselves in a position where we're so unhappy that we can't see the good things that are really going on around us. And Job was frustrated. He said, therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint. I'm not going to hold back right now. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. I'm losing it all. I don't know where God is at. And he goes on to say, and I'm speaking out in the bitterness of my soul. Can anybody relate to Job this morning? And maybe you're finding yourself there today. You're in a place where you can't 
find anything good. Well, I want to encourage you, and I actually want to implore you that I promise you, if you are in a devastated place where you can't find happiness in your life anywhere, something great is about to happen. Because God is taking you to new territory, a new place of blessings, and I'll show you in scripture today, but the enemy wants to derail you in the wilderness. He wants to get you murmuring and complaining and saying all the things you don't like about your life instead of seeing the good things that really are there, amen? So the one group that we referred to last week is the children of Israelites, right? We know their story. They were held in captivity. They were the chosen people of God. They were under slavery. Um, they were given less equipment than they needed to do more work. And God says, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to rescue you. And I'm going to take you from slavery. I'm going to take you from bondage. I'm going to take you from not enough. And I'm going to bring you to a land flowing of milk and honey. I'm going to bring you to a place that you've never seen before, but I need you to trust me. See, and that's where we're at. We want what God wants. We want 2020 to be amazing. We want the new year to be different. I want my marriage different, right? I want my checkbook different. Thank you, Jesus. And God's calling you out. And so when he, he rose, he said, I'm going to raise up a man named Moses, and I'm going to charge Moses. And Moses rose up, and he said, I'm going to change Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to let my people go. So what is God doing? He's showing his miraculous hand, right? He's showing that I'm with you, even though you're not where you want to be, even though you're not where I said you're going to be, I'm still with you. And so then what? They faced the Red Sea, right? And what did God do when the enemy was closing in upon them? The miraculous happened, and the Red Sea opened wide, right up, right up. And then what? They walked over on dry ground. And then the enemy's still pursuing, and then what did God do? Got them on the other side just soon enough to close in on the enemy and destroy the enemy so they couldn't pursue him anymore. See, God is working miracles in your life. And so if you study the journey of the children of Israelites, God did so many amazing things. Every morning when they woke up, fresh manna came from heaven. Okay, for all you moms who have to cook in the morning, wouldn't that be nice to go out to the curb, sweep up some breakfast for your kids and feed them, right? Like, that would make life easy to me. And then if you read in Scripture, the Bible says there was a pillar of cloud that led them by day and, and a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire that led them by night. I think it'd be easy to follow God. Like, if he showed up at my address and there's this pillar of fire and said, Barb, go here. I have a rich, hot guy for you. I'd be like, getting dressed quick. Right? I'm following that fire. I don't know where it's taking me. I'm just following it. Why? Because there's something on the other side. I don't know how to get there, but God knows how to get me there. Amen. But today, we, we, just, we just follow Jesus. You know, today to me, it's harder to walk by faith than the children of Israel did. They had to follow the cloud. And then God said, well, you're hungry for me. I'm going to send you quail. And I was like, miracle. You're thirsty? Let's open up that rock. And the rock's going to pour out enough water for a million people. God was moving in signs, wonders, and miracles. But guess what? It wasn't what they wanted to see. It wasn't what they wanted. And so if you look at scripture in um, Exodus 16, verse 2, it says this. In the desert, the whole community, that means everyone, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Apparently, the, uh, the, the, the birds weren't coming anymore, and they're only being fed by bread, and they wanted more, and they wanted more, and they begin to complain, this isn't what I signed up for, God. 
I signed up for the promised land. I didn't sign up to trust you. The Bible even says their clothes never wore out. Can you imagine never having to buy more clothes? For some of us, that's torture because we're addicted to shopping, right? But their clothes never wore out. And they begin to what? Even though God was showing up, they begin to complain. They didn't remember the goodness of God. Their mind says, I'd rather go back to what's familiar. I'd rather go back to bondage because then I know what I can least expect. I don't like this journey of trusting God. I don't like this journey of being faithful when I don't see God showing up where I want him to show up. So what did they begin to do? Murmur and complain and get frustrated. The Bible says that they were afraid that they were going to die in the desert. The Bible says that they said they're going to take our kids and our wives from us. They said we'd rather die and go back to slavery than to go any further with God. And if you study out scripture in Psalm 78, 41, referring back to this point of time in in, um, Exodus, it says, again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. See, in their murmuring and complaining, God's saying, I know you can't see me, but my miracles are still there. You may not see where I want to take you yet, but I'm still with you. I'm still the God of miracles. But God said they begin to frustrate and limit me, which means that word limit means to put a line which no one's allowed to cross over. So here we are on this side of faith going, God, I need your blessing. God, I need your breakthrough. Why isn't my marriage restored? Why isn't it healed? Why is this not happening? You're complaining. I keep trusting you. I keep being faithful, and you're not there. And God's going, hey, I'm on the other side of this blessing, but you've got my arms tied. I'm all powerful. God says, I have all power. I have all ability. Matter of fact, God is saying, I already did what you're asking me for. But it's on the other side of this place where you're murmuring about what you're not happy in. Because when you're murmuring and complaining, you're in fear and you're not in faith. And what moves the hand of God? Faith moves the hand of God. And we've got to be mindful, am I limiting God in this season? Is where I'm at, not because of anything else, not because you're not worthy, not because you've not been faithful, but are you murmuring and complaining? As I go into this 21-day fast, and I hope you're really getting prepared for it, maybe this is an area where we're saying, God, break my excuses. Let me recognize them. Lord, show me where I'm complaining. I think if we woke up tomorrow and we all took this challenge for 24 hours to be mindful of what's coming out of our mouth, we would be shocked of the complaint that's coming out. And maybe not to other people, but against yourself. I can, I can catch myself walking around the house. I talk to myself. It's really bad. Like I literally go into stores and people are like, I'm sorry, are you talking to me? I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I was talking to her. <laughs> Nobody's there. <laughs> Don't you see her? You know? <laughs> but our self-talk can be so damaging. And so, God, what are you doing? Why isn't this happening in my life? Where are you, God? You're doing it for everybody else. Can you hear the complaint? So it may not be this full on, you're calling people complaining, but the heart is complaining, and it's limiting the very place God wants to take you, amen? There's a cost of complaining. There's a cost to it. If I just studied the, um, the natural side of it, when people are stuck in complaint in their life and all they do is murmur and complain, Study has shown that, number one, you never try to solve the problem because you think, I've already tried it before, and it doesn't work. So you never try when you're complaining, in, in complaining. You feel powerless when you're complaining all the time. Nothing I could do to change it, which is actually a good thing because then God can come in the center of it, amen? 
You feel exhausted at the end of each day. You're dwelling on the past. You feel anxious. All these things, you become, you become irritable. Why? Because you haven't put God in the center of the situation. You put yourself on the seat of the situation. There's something about when we empower ourselves, we think that we have every right to complain. We think that we've been empowered with the ability. It's what I'm going through. It's what I'm struggling with. So we feel everybody else has to hear our complaint because it becomes all about you. Ooh, quiet. I can say this without looking at my notes because I've been there, right? So what we have to do is I have to get out of the way. Whatever's happening is not about what I want. It's not about what people think about me. I'm going to put God back in the center of the story, amen? He's the, lead, he's the lead role in my story. And when you do that, now you step out of complaining and you step back into completely trusting the Lord, amen? So if you want to live a life that truly honors God, we have to say on the inside of us, I'm going to quit complaining, amen? And I'm going to get back to trusting God. Let me tell you some reasons why it's so damaging to complain. Number one, complaining offends the heart of God. It offends the heart of God. How many of you, if you have children in here, or maybe you, like I help raise Samaya, or maybe you have nieces or nephews or whatever, and you love to pour out into your kids' lives, and you buy them things, and you take them on trips, and you do whatever it takes, right? You want to pour blessings into your kids' lives, and you no sooner get back from that vacation, and they're like, I'm bored. I have nothing to do. My life is miserable, right? They start complaining, like, you know, so-and-so gets to do that. And what do you want to do as a parent? You're like, have you lost your mind? I, I did this for you. I've done that for you. I took you on that vacation. But see, when we're through that blessing, we don't see it anymore. We only see the moment that we're living in. And that's how God sees our life. He's like, quit looking at the moment you're in. Be thankful. Don't frustrate God. You frustrate God when he can't release miracles into your life because you're in your flesh. Amen? So what? Complaining offends the heart of God. If you look at Numbers 11, 1 through 2, now the people complained, this is Israel, complained about their hardship in the hearing of the Lord. See, we think because God is like in this far off place that God can't hear us, but God hears your complaint. God hears your frustration. And it said, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Now, it's not because God's angry with you because he loves us unconditionally. He's frustrated because he knows the identity that's on the inside of you. He knows that his DNA is in you. The spirit of the living God is in your life, the creator of the universe, the God that speaks a word and everything changes because he spoke a word, is the same authority that lives on the inside of you. And he's like, no, you're not, you're not disappointed. You can't complain. I've given you all power to get out of it. All you need to do is trust me until it comes to pass. So God gets frustrated. He wants you to rise up. Be men of authority, men, amen. Be women of God. Take your position and say, no, I'm going to trust God in this season. I'm not going to grow weary. I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to quit looking at the negativity and what I don't have and what I wish I had, and I'm going to put God right back where he belongs. Because I tell you what, if you keep looking at what you don't like, you will throw away and sabotage what God's about to do. The best marriage, the great promotion, incredible ministry that we're doing here at this church, whatever it is, we can't get lost in transition to the next season by complaining. We have to have a thankful heart, amen? And it goes on to say that his anger was aroused. He said, then fire, get this, fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And I was like, whoa, God, that's going to be kind of hard to preach. Like, we know God's not going to send down fire right now, right? 
So I'm looking at this symbolically of where we are today. And if you, if you study the encampment of the Israelites, they would put um, armies or tribes around that would protect what was going on the inside of the camp. So if the outside of the camp was full of murmuring and complaining, putting their guards down, it would put what's happening on the inside in harm's way. So God says, I'm so angry right now, I'm going to send my fire to consume what's going on on the outside to protect what's going on on the inside. And the fire is what? God burning off the things in our life that we shouldn't have there. He's saying, let my fire get a hold of that complaining spirit. Let my fire get a hold of that thing that says it's all about you and you're not thinking about anybody else, amen? You've got to get out of the way and say, God, this is about you and my destiny for my family and for my children's children, amen? At the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about God working through us. So he said, I'm going to send my fire. So say, Lord, send your fire over the complaining of my heart so that I don't miss what you're about to do, amen? I can tell you, it's so easy to walk. I have our team and myself, we have vision for this church. I mean vision. We already have a vision for the sanctuary we want to build. You know, we don't know if it's new land. We don't know what it is. It would be so easy for me as a pastor to walk in and go, oh, I'm so sick of that. Oh, I'm so sick of that. I wish this was, I wish that, right? There's so many things that I could complain about. I take them to the Lord, but you know what I do? We're going to put Jesus, you are in control of the church, amen? Holy Spirit, it's your way, your time, it's your plan, and you just learn to let go and let God, and guess what? The church don't keep me up at night, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to wring my hands and wonder what's happening. Why? Because God's in control. He is the main role in this picture, right? He's the main role in your story, too. Quit wringing your hands. Quit getting worried. Put God in it. If God is for me, who can be against me? No weapon, no power, no opinions of man, no future promotion. Nothing can stop when you know that God is on your side. Amen. Moses then began to whine out to God. Oh, they're not, they're complaining about me. They're complaining about me and Aaron. They're not happy. And God says, well, wait a minute, Moses. This ain't about you. They're not complaining about you. They're really complaining about me. See, and that's the reality we have to get in our hearts. Amen. Who are we really frustrated with? Who are we really frustrated with? It's that God's not showing up on the scene, and we're frustrated. And that means that's a place of our heart we've got to give to God and put our trust back in the Lord. We studied last week about Moses and making his excuses, but something that I didn't share with you is when he said, God, use Aaron. He complained, use Aaron. I don't want to do it. And the Bible says God was angry with Moses. And if you study that word angry, do you know what it means? It means God's nostrils flared. He was angry because he says, you're not seeing who I said you are. You're not seeing that I am God on the throne and everything that you face, you're only seeing yourself and what you're not happy with. And God gets a righteous anger about that. And we need to get out of the way, amen? Get out of the way. All right, number two, complaining carries significant consequences. It carries consequences. There is a Um, price that we pay when we live in complaining, if you just look at the practical complaining, have you ever had anybody in your life that you know, as soon as they get your ear, it's a nonstop of problems? And when that person walks in the room, what do you want to do? I don't care how much you love Jesus. You're like, I got to go, right? I heard, I found this cute quote, and it said this, complainers have spiritual bad breath, (laughs) 
You ever talk, talk to somebody that has bad breath? You're like, whoa. Like, you got to step back. we got to talk from here. I've done that with people, and I've had garlic before. <laughs> right? People, the natural response is the consequence. People don't want to be around complainers. They may love you. They may want what's best for you, but eventually they're going to pull away because they don't want to be around a complainer, no matter how much we love Jesus. Amen? But if you look at Numbers 14, verse 27, God goes on to say, How long would this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them this. As surely as I live, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. I thought so. He said, all of you children of Israel, the million of you, the first generation of you that I promised you could go because all you did was murmur and complain and you tied up my hands, you don't get to go in. They never saw the promised land because of their murmuring and their complaining. There is consequences. Was the land still there? Yes. Was the blessing still there? Yes. Did the complainers get to see it? No. We don't want to live a life complaining because God is able, God has already done it, but he's saying your complaining will not allow you to enter in. He said the only ones that get to enter in is the new generation and Caleb and, um, Caleb and Joshua because they saw what they needed to see. God says, I'm not going to let you in because I'm not going to put up with the complaining anymore. Doesn't mean God doesn't love us, does it? But sometimes God will say, hey, I need you to get your heart back in check, which we'll, we'll talk about in, in just a minute. What could be holding back your blessings could be the complaining in your life. Let me give you this story. I heard a story of this realtor, and uh, he was selling this home. And in walked this new family and was inquiring about the home. And the family asked, uh, what are the people like in this city? You know, what, what are they like? Are they good? Are they happy? Whatever. And the realtor said to the couple, well, what were the people like in your other city you just came from? And the first couple was like, oh, they were bad. Like everybody was mean and negative. Nobody wanted to help each other. It was just bad. And the realtor goes, yeah, that's what this city's like too. And then the next couple comes in, and they're asking about the city and what the people are like. And this couple said, man, said, what, is this, what is this city like? And this couple said, it was amazing. The people were so friendly, so outgoing. They brought food over to my house. And the realtor said, well, that's the kind of people that live here. Because see, whatever you see in life is what becomes true to you. Now, whatever complaint you have, I call it like a filter, Anything good that God wants to send into your life because you only see it one way through your past experience, anything good has to go through that complaining filter and you see things the same way everywhere you go. I know people that have been to a church and maybe the church betrayed them, maybe the pastor stole money, there was an affair that took place, whatever it was, and every church that they go to now, it may start off good, but the filter of that experience when they were murmuring, complaining what happened, now every church is the same experience because they've never removed the filter. They've never removed what I studied, a confirmed, it's a confirmation bias. You already believe what you believe, so nothing's gonna change your mind. What a scary place to be, that God wants to bring something so amazing, but you wanna have dogma to believe what you only wanna believe in what you see. Can you see how destructive this is of the enemy? To keep us from, we can't go back, or we could, but it would never be great, but I definitely am not going to go forward so we get stuck in this season of our life. And we lose the blessings of God, amen? And what happens when you have that conferred bias, something inside of you wants to prove that it's true. 
because it's become your truth. You've got a young girl who was maybe abused by someone at a young age, a man, and because she's never been healed, because she's never been able to have that supernatural touch of God, every man is the same way. And she can never find a good man. Why? Because something happened. And then she attracts that same experience. And God wants to heal that in our hearts today. God wants to take away those things that are holding us captive to complaining so that we can be free to see what God wants us to see. Amen? Are there some bad churches? Yes. Did some bad things happen in churches? Yes. But are there some great churches? Amen. There are churches all over the world preaching the gospel, right, moving in the Holy Spirit, seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, so we don't want to throw away everything because I've got this belief system that I can't change, and it's going to prove right to me. We need God to break that complaining spirit in our hearts. Amen. Um, this uh, study that I saw, psychologists said that um, people who have smaller families, um, their kids become more entitled. Um, like when I was, had Maya in my house for about eight years, and um, we would ask Maya, because there's sm- three of us, we'd say, Maya, what would you like for dinner? You know, oh, I want Chick-fil-A. Okay, let's go get Chick-fil-A or whatever, or we'll make this. We really catered to it. But if you've got a house of six and seven children or more, do you ask your kids what they want to eat? No. No, why? Because you're going to get what mama puts on the table, right? It may be mac and cheese with bacon on top. Eat it. It's the fourth time. Eat it anyway. (laughs) Or you go to bed hungry. There was no choices. So when there's constant blessings and blessings, it becomes this entitlement that I deserve it. I should have this miracle. I should have this change. Maybe you lived in a season where God blessed you, blessed you, blessed you, and now he's like holding back saying, hang on, trust me. I know I used to spoil you, but now I need you to trust me that you're not the center of attention. I want to be the center of attention now. I can't talk to you, I can't tell you the people that I've had this exact conversation with that are strong people in the kingdom of God, that we're living in a season where God is saying, it's not going to be about you right now. I want to be the center of affection, attention, and everything that you do right now. Because what I'm about to do in the kingdom cannot be about you. It's not about your instant microwave miracle. It's about trusting me and loving me and having joy even when you don't see me. Amen? And that's, that's hard. I read this book called The Birth Order. Has anybody ever read that book before, The Birth Order? It's so good. Kevin Lehman. If you have multiple children, you should read this book because it describes the, the different temperaments of your firstborn, middle child, all that. Well, I was the uh, baby of the family, and I'm a girl, and uh, my brother got married young, so it's kind of like the only child. So my whole life, everything revolved around me. And I just assumed that's how the life, that's how the world ran. Everything ran around Barb Pruitt, right? Well, who makes me happy? I'm the center of attention. Everybody wants to love me. Everybody wants to be about me. And those are great walks of faith. But when you grow up, you realize that time is really not all about Barb Pruitt. And Barb doesn't always get her way. So I remember I went to a book, um, a book convention and I ran into Dr. Kevin. So I wanted to tell him I read your book. He signed it. I said, it was so awesome. He goes, well, what birth order are you? And I said, well, I'm the baby girl, only child. He's like, Oh, I'm really sorry. I said, I know. I always think I'm the belle of the ball. And then I had to wake up one day and realize I'm not. It's not all about me, right? So listen, it's not always about you. Sometimes we just got to let God groom us. Let God shake some things off, right? Let God mature us in the kingdom of God. Let God become the center of our story, amen? Let him be the one. We have to realize that we are not here. Um, God is not here exists to make us happy. 
God doesn't exist to sit on the throne and say, what can I do to make sure they love me all the time? What can I do to make sure I meet their needs so they're happy? No, we exist to honor and praise the king. We exist to please the Father. We exist to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In response to our worship of faith, he gives us whatever we want. He blesses us, but he's like, I'm not here to be your sugar daddy. I'm not a genie in the bottle that you can make any wish you want. I am God. I sit on the throne, and sometimes there's a process, and I need you to trust me in the process and be thankful while you're there. Amen? So what do we do in this season? What do we do? When culture has accepted complaining, you got Facebook feed, right? You can go through and everybody voices, and that's fine. It's the platform to do that. At least we've made it that, right? But we live in a culture where complaining is almost acceptable. What do we do? Let's, let's go through this quickly. How do we restrain our complaining? Restraining our complaining. I'm going to go quickly this morning. What, why, and how of complaining? Paul clearly stated um, what not to do. He said, do not complain, clearly. In Philippians 2.14, he said, do everything without complaining and arguing. Everything, everything, amen? We have to apply this into our marriages, into our friendships, into our jobs. Make a list of the things that maybe you're not happy about, and then turn that paper over and make a list. Begin to recognize the things that are good in your life. You're going to find out you are way more happier than you realize. You are way more blessed than you realize, amen? So we're going to not complain in Jesus' name. Ephesians 4.29 says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. He said, pay attention to what you're talking. Bite your tongue if you got to do, right? Watch it. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those that listen. Listen, if you're in a season where you're stuck, go encourage someone else. Make a phone call and pray and love on someone else. Give someone else a blessing even though you feel like your life is miserable because God says pray one for another that you may be healed. As soon as you give life away, you're going to walk away feeling like a million bucks. And my friend visited this first service, a pastor friend, and she's so wonderful, and I walked straight down. And I said, can I pray for you? You know, and it was such an awesome thing, and I got to pour into her and prophesy in her life, and I felt like I was floating out of here. I was like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. And she said, well, can I pray for you too? And I was like, yeah, but on the inside, I'm like, but I'm good. I'm good because I just gave you something, and boy, did that make me happy. I know I met you, you got, got a word from God that sets you home on fire. That makes me so happy, amen? And she did. She prayed for me, and it was a beautiful word from God. But when you give it away, you get out of yourself. Amen? We get out of ourselves, and we find out how much more God can do in our life. Amen? So what are we not going to do? We're not going to complain. Why? Why do we stop complaining? So we can become more like Christ. So we can be more like Christ. Philippians 2 says this, do everything without complaining and arguing. He, didn't, he could have put any other word there in complaining. Do everything without, you know, committing adultery. Do everything without whatever. He said, no, do everything without complaining. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Now, where I want to go here briefly is I've been talking about the external challenge of changing our behavior, right? Stop our complaining. But what God really wants to do is get into your heart where the complaint is coming from. Because if you just stop complaining, you may last a day or two if you're lucky, but that thing's going to surface right back up out of your heart. So if you look at Luke 6.45, it says this, for out of the overflow of his heart, 
His mouth speaks. So where's the real issue? Our heart. It's the heart issue. And you can change your behavior for a minute, but if you change the heart, you'll change it forever. Amen? Fix that internal part where we're really losing the battle of insignificant anyway. Amen? So what do we do? We align our heart with the heart of God every day. What do I do? I'm not going to complain. Why? To become more like Christ. And how am I going to do this? I'm going to choose to rejoice no matter what. No matter what. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Bible says he fills my mouth with laughter and my lips with shouts of praise. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Tears may endear for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Amen. It's time to have some joy, the joy of the Lord. I don't mean a temporal joy, but I mean the joy of the Lord. And when you have joy, it means you gave it over to God. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know you're going to do it. I'm following the fire, God. I'm following the cloud. I'm so happy. I'm rejoicing. I'm celebrating. And I'm just following you to the blessing that you have in my life. Amen? Choose to be happy. So I close in this last scripture verse in Philippians. I want you to see that where, where Peter, excuse me, Paul is talking in this content of his story. He was imprisoned. And I believe Paul believed, according to this scripture, deep in his heart that this was maybe his last hurrah. This might have been the end of his last voice to the church that he loved so much. And he comes to the church writing in prison, and he tells them this story in this letter. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, even if this is my end, even if I die in this prison cell, I'd much rather be with the Lord or be with you, but I don't know what's going to happen right now. But he said, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too shall be glad and rejoice with me. He says, I may be in prison, but I'm rejoicing with you. I'm happy they're being saved. I'm happy people are being healed. I'm happy the church of Christ is growing. I'm in prison, but don't worry about me. I'm happy because you're happy, so be happy for me. That's the heart God wants us to have. Celebrate others that are in their season and say, hey, don't worry about me. I'm good because my blessing's coming, amen? I know that I'm next. I know that God hasn't forgotten me. I know that God's not a respecter of persons, and I know I'm going to have that miracle in my life, amen? How is Paul able to say that so strongly? How is he able to be so confident, bound in prison, where most of us would have been complaining, right? Right here, I'd have been right there with you. How is Paul able to be so strong with God? But if you look at scripture, he's the same man that penned the verse that says, I am crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. See, he learned in his young journey that his life is not his own. I'm crucifying my flesh. I'm crucifying my emotions. I'm crucifying my flesh. My life is not my own. It is going to be God. So when I find myself in places I'm not happy, I'm happy because I've died to myself and I've let God rule and reign in my life. The Bible says we're a living sacrifice. That means we lay ourselves down. And that's the best position to be in. Amen? Get out of the way. And let God be God in your life. Begin to be thankful. You guys can come on up. Begin to be thankful for what the Lord has. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. 
Amen. Let's go ahead and close our eyes this morning. Father, I thank you and praise you for everyone that's in this room today. And Lord, we release grace, grace in this season of their transition. Grace, grace for stepping into the promised land. Lord, I speak peace and joy and hope over their hearts in the name of Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the center of your story. Maybe you need to re-invite Jesus to be the very center of your life, the author and the finisher of your faith. Maybe you're here this morning and you need, first time ever, you're making Jesus your savior. Maybe there's some of you this morning that just need to confess of some things that the Holy Spirit's convicting you of. Maybe he's troubling your heart. It's time to lay those things on the altar of Christ. Put them under the blood of Jesus. Repent of those things. Make Jesus the Lord. Maybe there's been some bitterness and you're so disappointed with God. Maybe I feel some of you might even be angry with God. You're so frustrated. I hear the Lord say, just let it go. Trust me once again. Put me in the center of your situation and watch what I'll do. Whatever it is, if you need to make things right with the Holy Spirit in any way, I want you, all of us, we're going to say this prayer together. But those of you who need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I ask you to say this prayer. Pray that you believe it with all of your heart and you shall be saved. So I want everyone to repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm asking you, forgive me of all of my sins. I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me for my complaining, my frustration, and discouragement. I give all of my fears to you and my frustrations. I invite you, Father God, to the center of my story. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a praise. It's good. <laughs> if you said that prayer this morning, just look in the chair in front of you. There's an I Choose card. You're rededicating your heart or coming back to Jesus for the first time. Please fill that out. Bring it to Ed when we dismiss the service this morning. We have a Bible for you, but we also have some information on your walk with Jesus. Serving Jesus is more than just saying a prayer, okay? That's the first step. But we want to teach you how to walk with Jesus, how to have a relationship with Jesus how to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit, amen, the full gospel of Jesus in your life. So when we dismiss, some of you are going to go that way. Those of you who want to get a Bible,